Cherry Hill Volvo, we have absolutely incredible offers and a plethora of both new and certified Volvos from which to choose. We are eager to offer amazingly competitive prices, plus an additional $1,000 Costco discount on all new Cherry Hill Volvos. When leasing or purchasing a new or certified Cherry Hill Volvo, you become a valued part of our team. Join Cherry Hill Volvo for the pricing and attention you deserve. I am Judith Krepnick, president of Cherry Hill Volvo. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. On the free Odyssey app. I'm Peter King. Winter storm warnings and wind chill watches are up for much of the upper half of the Midwest and Western U.S. Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson with a nod to migrants who've been sent to his city. We are ready with services and resources to keep residents and our new arrivals safe this winter. If you were planning to fly in or out of Chicago O'Hare, you're out of luck. There's a ground stop in effect until at least tonight. Odyssey New York meteorologist Craig Allen. Around the Great Lakes, on down through Chicago and over into the upper Mississippi. Mississippi Valley. Heavy snow warnings, blizzard conditions are likely across some of these areas, and snowfall could amount to over a foot and a half, maybe even close to two feet. Texas is bracing for a cold snap like the one that killed more than 200 people when the power grid went down three years ago. Here's reporter Chris Fox. Bracing for what he calls life-threatening cold temperatures. Texas Governor Greg Abbott says he feels good about the status of the state's power grid, which did fail during the big freeze in 2021. We are expecting Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning want to be the tightest times for their caught power grid. We should have sufficient power to make it through that time period. According to Chief Meteorologist Dan Brunoff of KRLD Radio in Dallas, the cold is half the problem. To make matters worse, an ice storm will take place across parts of North Central and East Texas. Chris Fox for CBS News, Austin. In Buffalo, New York, federal prosecutors say they'll seek the death penalty for the white man who killed 10 black people at a supermarket in 20 2022. Mark Talley's mother, Geraldine, among the dead. I have no problem with them doing it. I would have preferred he stay right, right here, locked up in county jail for the rest of his life, surrounded by people who want to kill him every day. Hours after a series of U.S.-led strikes on Houthi targets in Yemen, National Security Spokesman John Kirby says the White House isn't looking for a war with Houthi rebels, but it's ready to retaliate if the Iran-backed Houthis don't stop attacking ships in the Red Sea. We have in the past, and we will certainly continue uh, to hold uh, Iran accountable for their destabilizing activities. A senior military official says the U.S. and Britain hit about 30 Houthi targets after the latest attacks. Some help is on the way for Hamas hostages with medical issues. Here's CBS's Robert Berger in Jerusalem. Israel says it has reached a deal mediated by Qatar that would allow medicine to reach Israeli hostages held by Hamas in Gaza. This follows a meeting between the families of the hostages and the Prime Minister of Qatar in Doha. But as far as the release of the hostages, there's no deal in sight. On Wall Street, the Dow has lost 158 points and the Nasdaq is down 21. This is CBS News.
Dom Giordano. Let's go to Representative Eamon Brown on Talk Radio 1210. My producer here, Dan, he wants to know the most <laughs> important thing. Where did you vote on the Taylor Swift recognition vote? I voted for it because <laughs> Taylor Swift, he ain't writing no song about me. I was like, I better vote for this because she's going to be like, all right, you know they're going to point me out. The one black man from West Philly <laughs> is anti-Taylor Swift. <laughs> and all her Swifties are not going to vote for this. Dom time. Dom Giordano. Weekdays noon till 3 on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT and the free Odyssey app. WPHD, WPHD, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. The revolution will be broadcast. This is the next generation of talk. Now on Talk Radio 1210 WPHD, Rich Zioli. So are we getting ready for World War III or what? What's going on here? How huh? the United States of America goes after the Houthis and did President Obama have congressional authorization? Those are the questions. Welcome to the show. Glad you're here. 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli. We are now expecting some sort of Houthi retaliation. Oh, those Houthis, huh? Well, they're there something. We have a big show for you today. We'll talk to Dr. Victoria Coates about this later in the show today. But since November 19th, we've had at least 27 attacks in the Red Sea alone. Not counting the Gulf of Aden or the um, Suez Canal or anything else. 27 attacks. Now, look, I hate Joe Biden. I really do. I think he's a useless, incompetent president. But... I believe that he did not violate the War Powers Act, and I'll tell you the reason why. U.S. forces were being attacked by the Iranians and by these Houthis, and the United States of America responded, very similar to what President Reagan did when our troops were attacked off of Grenada. Now... I have a lot of problems with the War Powers Act. I do. From a constitutional perspective, I have a lot, a lot of problems with it. Number one, the War Powers Act is intended really primarily to defend the homeland. Number two, the War Powers Act is intended to be our short-term remedy to a long-term problem. But that said, it is the law of the land. And if our forces are being attacked, the president does have the lawful right to respond until Congress revokes the Law Powers Act, the War Powers Act. He does have the right to respond. Whether or not we stay there longer than, I don't know, in my opinion, 72 hours, 96 hours, this is where we get into a very, very muddy area of constitutional law. Let's think about this for a second. If the United States of America was attacked tomorrow, we all know, we'd all agree, uh, the president has to do what he has to do as commander-in-chief to defend the homeland. We all agree. Nobody disagrees with that. If there is a foreign element to this, and this is something that Thomas Jefferson himself grappled with when the Barbary pirates attacked our Merchant Marine Corps back in the early uh, 1800s slash late 1700s, what do we do? How do we deal with that? It's foreign. It's not a direct threat on the homeland, but it is a direct threat on U.S. interest. Jefferson's reasoning in ordering the Marines to attack and ultimately defeat the Barbary pirates was that um, 
The presence of the U.S. extends beyond just our borders. A U.S. ship in international waters deserves the protection of the United States of America. I agree with that. I really do. I do agree with that from a philosophical point of view. But Jefferson was very careful to understand and respect the fact that that does not mean an act of war. Congress declares war. Now, back then, of course, a war can only last a few days, right? I mean, you attack pirates, and what do you got? You got two days of ammunition, three days of ammunition, tops, and then you need backup. At that point, there's a legitimate constitutional question of, should you ask for a congressional authorization? And I think the answer is yes, right? I mean, anytime you got to go back and ask for supplies, it's a great opportunity for Congress to step aside and say, listen, uh, Commander-in-Chief, based on Article 1, we declare war. You are the Commander-in-Chief if we do declare war, since one follows, you know, the art- Article 2 follows Article 1. Um We don't give you our authorization, so therefore you're not commander-in-chief. Think back to Jefferson and the Barbary Pirates, right? It's a great example from history. So Jefferson says, all right, this is America's first true test of war abroad. And I believe we have to protect our strategic interests and our ships. So I'm going to order the Marines to go attack and ultimately defeat the Barbary Pirates. Congress, by the time Congress learns of this, they are days, weeks, potentially away from actually getting together and authorizing a vote for war. So now this is a tough question. What does the president do in an age where Congress is traveling to the Capitol via stagecoach? Truly, what does the president do? At that point, I think the Constitution says the president has to act and go to Congress later for authorization. Now, the time the Constitution was ratified, the impeachment clause was the law of the land. If Congress didn't like it, well, they can turn around and say, well, we think you exceeded your authority, Mr. President. We are going to revoke your authority under the uh, impeachment clause, and we're going to say you have exceeded your authority. Fair enough. Back in Jefferson's time, that would have been the case. It's certainly the case today, right? I mean, if Congress doesn't like the fact that Joe Biden authorized uh, retaliatory strikes against the Houthis, they could impeach him without question. But back then, the question of authorization was really paramount. I mean, think about it today, right? Does the president need authorization to attack the Houthis? My opinion is no, based on the War Powers Act. But at the time when Jefferson fought the Barbary pirates, there was no War Powers Act. It was strictly the Constitution. Jefferson, who was the American Sphinx, I mean, he truly had a lot of things he grappled with. For example, the Louisiana Purchase was something that he had a tough time with. Does the United States of America have a manifest destiny? Do we really have the right to buy this land? Does the federal government have the right to buy this land? I mean, these are complicated questions at the founding of the republic from a guy who said the republic should only last, you know, maybe 20 years. So here we are. 
thousands of miles away. The Houthis are um, attacking our ships. The president says we're going to send them a message and we're going to attack them. I think from a legal perspective, the the president is correct. From a constitutional perspective, that is the great question, right? But in the absence of the Constitution being clear, the founders said, Congress, you figure it out. So Congress did. They figured it out. They said, we're going to pass the War Powers Act and say the president has 48 hours to alert Congress of his actions and 90 days to act without congressional authorization. We have not declared war since World War II. We have not won a war since World War II, ironically enough. So Joe Biden might be legally in the right. But the question then becomes, do you trust him? to lead our nation into war, knowing that this could escalate into World War III. Which brings me to my next point. Donald Trump last night came out and said that Joe Biden is leading our country into World War III. He's not wrong. He is. And I think the reason why is because if you've ever seen the movie Wag the Dog, which is a great movie, the question of whether or not a president will gain points by being a wartime president still is a question that confounds the swamp. Now, I, for one, think back in the day, the answer was, unfoundedly, yes. If you're a wartime president, you absolutely will have an advantage. But in this day and age, the answer is no. For example... I'm um, knocking on your door in Iowa this weekend. Hey, come caucus with me. I'm a Donald Trump supporter. Come caucus with me. That person says, first of all, it's freezing out. My God, it's so cold out. Number two, is uh, he going to drag us into World War III? No, he's not. Because for the four years Donald Trump is president, we did not have World War III. All right, I like this guy. Let me think about this a little bit. And do you have a scarf and a hat and maybe mittens? All right, no, I don't have any of those things. But, 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 if you, if you think about it, can you help me? Please understand why we are at war right now in the Middle East. And nobody can really answer that question. The question becomes... Does the United States have a strategic interest in sending a message or doubling down on a long-term conflict? Now, if I'm an Iowa voter and I'm looking at the world writ large, I'm thinking to myself two things. Number one, do I want to stay in Ukraine? I do not. Do I want World War III in the Middle East? I do not. Who do I trust to navigate out of this circumstance? Do I trust Nikki Haley? No, I don't. Because I think Nikki Haley will absolutely get us into World War III. Do I trust Ron DeSantis? Well, I'd like him, but um, he's never had to negotiate or navigate an international conflict before. Donald Trump. Donald Trump has had to deal with this stuff. He killed Soleimani. He's had to deal with the United Nations. He's had to deal with NATO. Maybe I think to myself, if there's anyone who can avoid World War III, it's Trump.
And I'm going to put my support behind him. As the Iowa caucus kicks off on Monday, I'm thinking to myself, this is where I need to be. This helps him. The other point, too, and this should not be lost on anybody, is that even though we all support the president in short-term military actions, when it becomes longer than, say, 72 hours, 96 hours, maybe a couple months, we want Congress to negotiate and decide on this. We don't do that anymore. Congress now just yields to the military-industrial complex. Congress just turns around and says, hey, listen, if the MID says we should be there, we'll be there. So Ukraine, um, Middle East, whatever it takes. I think the other reason why people in Iowa right now might be more hesitant about backing Nikki Haley is that she will listen to those very voices. You and I both know if the United States or its strategic partners or its assets overseas or American citizens are under threat, we want, we demand, we deserve the United States of America to respond. In fact, I want that. It sends a message. The message it sends is you mess with our people, we'll mess with you back. Think about it, right? Let me use the old Italian analogy. You come down my alley, got a guy there, you beat up my guy, all right. Well, we're going to send you a message. You don't come down my alley and beat up my guy. You beat up one of my ships, you beat up my people, you attack citizens or our embassy. We will respond in kind and we will send you a very, very loud message. This is the thing about modern diplomacy. Our enemies are looking for signs that tell them the United States of America will, in fact, respond accordingly. Joe Biden has sent a message to the world up until this moment that he will not. Now, the other question to ask yourself is this. With Lloyd Austin being in the hospital, with Joe Biden missing in action, where the hell is this guy? As we just launched a massive attack on an independent nation, Yemen, where is the commander-in-chief? Is this entire thing done for the Democrat establishment led by Barack Obama to try to secure the footing of the Democrat Party being a wartime party? See, what I'm thinking right now is that since Joe Biden has not come out and said a damn word, and since we are all turning around and wondering to ourselves, um, out of curiosity, who's in charge? Who's running the show? Is it John Kirby? Is John Kirby running the show? I have to wonder if other forces behind Joe Biden are calling the shots and saying to themselves, we want to appear as strength. We want to appear as we are in charge. But most importantly, we want to show the world that we are the United States of America. All that's well and good. But where's the president? And if he's not around, the question becomes, is that deliberate or accidental? See, I wonder if I'm Barack Obama and I want my wife to be president of the United States. And I know, Susie, you're going to be very upset with me right now. I want my wife to be president. 
do I hide Joe Biden as much as possible? I issue statements. I have the United States take military action. My defense secretary is missing. The president of the United States is missing. But the United States is doing what it needs to do under the War Powers Act to defend its strategic interests abroad. Am I doing all of this because I ultimately want to make a switch? The world is a dangerous place. And we need a president who is young and fit and healthy and who has the wartime experience to be able to navigate these very choppy Red Sea, Gulf of Oman waters. I don't know. What I do know, though, is that Terry Hayes will have a lot of insight on this on February 7th. I would love for you to join us for that. February 7th with Terry Hayes' new book, The Year of the Pilgrim. i got to tell you, I'm reading it. I love it. It is an outstanding book. One of the absolute best. I'm telling you, Terry Hayes is a genius. Uh, Truly. There was a 10-year gap between his first book, I Am Pilgrim, and The Year of the Pilgrim. And in the 10 years, Terry Hayes has, as a writer, seen so much that has changed from his perspective of the world. But the one thing that has remained constant in his writing is that the deep state controls so much. You want to join us February 7th for this event. It's going to be outstanding, catastrophic, truly. You'll love what he has to say. He was a journalist embedded with CIA for years. He knows their tactics and their strategies, and he would love to see you. And I would love to see you, too. So February 7th, just go to 1210WPHC.com for tickets. Don't wait. It will sell out. 1210WPHC.com. Terry Hayes and me, February 7th in Bryn Mawr, the year of the pilgrim. Don't miss it. We're coming right back. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through... You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame... Two more reps. Two more. You deserve this ice-cold reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. The Zioli Show. On your schedule from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT in the free Odyssey app. So I had to get a uh, cavity filled today from Dr. Mike Venaria. And I have the um, 
the lip thing they put in your giant needle thing. So if I'm slurring, I'm not drinking. I wish I was. I really do. I, I wish... <laughs> To God I was, but um, it's that. And this big story, the fact that I'm slurring, is brought to you by Dr. Mike Venaria, VenariaDesert.com. Think of the big stories of the week. So first of all was that I was going to be on Jesse Waters' prime time. I got bumped. What was yesterday's? you remember, Matt? Uh, it was your pizza oven. My pizza oven is in, yes. Um, and then today is that I had a giant needle put in my <laughs> lip. Um, it didn't hurt though. They do like pain-free root canal and all that other stuff. But anyway, so um, I know Steve Delaney thought I was like drunk. I wish. I wish. God, I wish I was drunk. I, there's so many reasons to be drunk, but I'm not. I just had a cavity filled. So uh, as Steve Delaney said on Twitter, and this is a good time for our Cherry Hill Volvo check-in. So first of all, big story of the day brought to you by Dr. Vener- Mike Venaria. I'm not drunk. It's just a, a fill-in. Brought to you by. Dr. Mike Venaria. Uh, Steve Delaney says, slight slur in Rich's voice, and he's out of the gate talking about attacking pirates. Carrying the Friday started right with some bourbon, no doubt. God, I wish, Steve. I really do, but... <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, I just feel like the Thomas Jefferson Barbary Pirates analogy is analogous to um, our foreign policy question of when the president has powers outside of the United States. And I really also think that if I was drunk, I probably would not be able to make that analogy. Right, Matt DeSantis? I mean, if you're drunk, are you bringing up Jefferson and the Barbary Pirates? (laughs) Yeah, No, I'm not. Right? Like, you're probably not as much, I would think. Um, Anyway, so uh, that's where we are today. Uh, Social Construct says, have you been drinking today? No, I haven't. I just had dental work done, and I'm still a little numb. (laughs) I sound trashed. I'm not trashed. I just am recovering from uh what is it called lidocaine uh what, what, what is it what do they give you what do they give you in your in your in your tongue your mouth your lip whatever it is i'm not actually not sure i, th- I think it might be lidocaine. yeah lidocaine sounds right yeah. lidocaine right yeah yeah you sound a little strange but you're coherent like everything that you said during your opening monologue i thought was spot on yeah. If you were drunk, then nothing you said would make sense. Yeah, I don't think I could talk about the Jefferson, the Barbary Pirates, and the question of whether or not the the War Powers Act extends beyond foreign seas. <laughs> if I'm drunk, I think it might sound weird if I have had a giant needle in my lip. Right? Like, we can all understand that point, I think. I understood it. Thank you very much. So, for the record, you did not have a two-bourbon lunch. No, I wish. I've had no bourbon today. I've had no alcoholic beverages today. I've only had lidocaine. Do you have to keep uh, – is it going to wear off by the end of the show, or is it going to be a, uh, a consistent thing? They told me it should wear off in an hour, oh, so I should good. be good. No, yeah. We don't have to explain it to each guest that we have on. Oh, my God. Right. I know. <laughs> Seriously. Or every Twitter person, too, as well. Um. Yeah, no, the thing about it, too, is that it really does hurt if you don't have anesthesia. And they give you a local anesthetic, which hurts like hell, by the way. It really does. But the key point, though, is I've had so much anesthesia in the last year with my surgeries that I am immune to anesthesia. It, re- it literally does not affect my body. I was wide awake for my surgery in Madison when they cut out 18 inches of my colon at Cooper in July. Did you know that? Uh, uh. 
Ugh, like on purpose, or you just happened to wake up? I was wide awake. Ugh. I was telling the doctors how to move. I was like, listen, why don't you take that scalpel and move it to the left, like 0.2 millimeters? And they were like, okay, fine, we'll do that. <laughs> it's not easy. Were you watching it on the big screen they got in there? Yeah, I was, too. Did you ever see that movie where the guy was um, under anesthesia? Ryan Phillippe, I think, was the actor. And he was under anesthesia, and he was wide awake, though, for the entire procedure. Did you ever see that? Oh, that sounds terrible. Awful, right? I know there was, like, a woman who, like, didn't want to lose her ability to play, like, the violin or be, like, musically gifted. Yeah. And she had to have brain surgery. So during the brain surgery, to ensure, like, she wouldn't lose that part of her, she played the violin throughout, like, the entire thing. Well, evidently, brain surgery, uh, you don't feel anything. Makes sense. Yeah. Well, it's your brain, so that makes sense, right? I mean, I'm not a doctor, but I guess. You went to Harvard. It's close uh, enough. I didn't go to medical school. I studied political science. I'm an idiot. Well, you did go to Johns Hopkins, which Johns Hopkins Medical School has issued an apology, we by the way, for the record. This. We do, actually. Every I think we do. school I'm associated with just humiliates themselves. Why? I think it's you. I think you're the problem. I really do. <laughs> You, I truly do. You leave these schools with just like a, in a cloud of destruction. Uh, uh, I I know it's horrible. They're like hell bent on destroying their reputation and consequently destroying my resume in the process. So. Um, Johns Hopkins came out this week. The head of diversity came out and said, if you are a white person, cisgender, able-bodied male, any of these other categories, you are somebody who has privilege. And she said, and this is the point, privilege is something that cannot be earned. You either have it or you don't. Basically meaning like you cannot work for it, forget all that. You either have privilege or you don't. So she said these things. And then... That's the best part about this, too. She proceeded to list this whole category. Today, the head of the Johns Hopkins Medical School and the dean of the Johns Hopkins entire health system came out and said, we disagree with her. We don't agree with her choice of words. We don't agree with her definition of privilege. But they did not fire her. That's the most amazing part about all of this. They didn't fire her for this. I don't understand how that's possible. She came out and she essentially said, if you're not a black, disabled lesbian, you are, have privilege, right? Even a black woman, disabled lesbian. Even if you were middle-aged, which doesn't make sense to me. No, my favorite is that she said, if you're in the owning class... That's a whole new category I've never heard before. Owning class. If you're the owning class, what does that mean? You own property? I guess, yeah. It's middle or owning class. So I guess if you own a home or a condominium or something, then uh, you are privileged. All right, to- so let's break this down for a second. If I own a house, I'm the owning class. What if I'm super rich? I decide to just rent because the economy stinks and the interest rates are too high. Am I not privileged? Or I am because I'm also white and cisgender, able-bodied and... You know what I mean? Like it, she, like she lists everything except a black lesbian disabled woman. I mean, that's the only category. I would say this: a black lesbian transgender disabled woman. That's that's it. No, they're still privileged if they speak English. Okay, all right, you're fair enough. A black lesbian transgender disabled. 
uh, Spanish-speaking woman. Thank you. You are then not privileged. Is that right? Yes. And also, just to be clear to the audience, I'm not joking. It, it's clearly listed. English-speaking people are privileged according to this definition. All right. So if you are somebody who is the head of diversity, equity, and inclusion at Johns Hopkins, and you're somebody who is um, getting paid what? What do you think she makes a year? $200,000 a year? Oh, maybe more? Yeah, I'm sure it's a lot. All right. You are not privileged because you are a black woman. Let me just understand this correctly. Um, even though you have one of the most prestigious posts in America, you are not privileged because you are still a black woman who's not a cisgender, white, male, able-bodied, English-speaking person. Is that right? Yes, I think. All right. So what if you're a white guy in Appalachia who doesn't have any money whatsoever? And you're a coal miner and your job has been taken away because of the war on climate and you have nothing. You have no means whatsoever. And also, by the way, you might be bisexual. Do you have any privilege or are you? I think you're still privileged in that scenario because you're presumably middle aged if you're you're working you know, manual labor. And uh, I assume the individual speaks English. So they're still privileged. Wow. Might be Christian, too. A Christian person. Yeah, that's that's privileged. Again, Man. not a joke. It's on there. It's listed. If you're Christian, you're privileged. Matt DeSantis, if you're going to say not a joke, you got to say no joke, folks. That is the <laughs> no, proper no way joke. to say that. <laughs> I wasn't doing a, a uh, Biden impersonation. I just wanted to be crystal clear to the audience that although some of the things that we mentioned were ridiculous, it wasn't hyperbole. It's actually on this this email. No joke, folks, is the uh, is the question. <laughs> Well, we're gr very grateful to our friend, Dr. Mike Finneri, even though I got Novocaine today, and I am telling you what, it, this is brutal. Um, you are absolutely in good hands for the rest of the show today. Jimmy Fail is going to be here, Dr. Victoria Coates. We did start potentially World War III yesterday. Donald Trump says that. Do we agree? What is the effect on the Iowa caucus now that we have struck at the Houthis, I have a thought on this. And the thought is this. Um, despite the weather, which we're told now, and my friend Dana Perino is texting me right now saying that there is a fierce winter storm snarling the Iowa campaign and the caucus. I think that this helps Trump in a big way. And that's the reason why. Because uh, the weather means that if you are somebody who's on the fence, yeah, you don't really care. You're going to stay home. If you're a Trump supporter and you have, we, we've, we've seen this before, you will crawl over glass to vote for Donald Trump. You will ensure Trump's victory. At the same time, though, if you are anti-Trump, you may also come out in Iowa. So my prediction is this. Iowa caucus Monday. Donald Trump comes in first. Nikki Haley comes in second. Ron DeSantis underperforms, drops out Monday night, and endorses Donald Trump, which he should do, ahead of the New Hampshire primary. Unlike Chris Christie, he comes out and he says, I am backing Donald Trump because he is the only person who can keep us out of World War III. That will go a long way towards, I think, solidifying the anti-war base. Senator Rand Paul came out today and said, while he's not ready yet to endorse a candidate, he is ready to endorse a non-candidate or say which candidate he is opposed to, and that is Nikki Haley. He's launched a new site called NeverNikki.net, not .com, 
NeverNikki.net. And the reason why is because Ron DeSantis says Nikki Haley is a puppet of the establishment, will drag us into World War III and keep us in Ukraine. How much do the events of the last couple days keep us engaged in saying that Trump is the only person who can keep us from getting into World War III? That question is something that will play out, I believe, in New Hampshire and Iowa, but particularly Iowa over the course of this weekend 855-839-1210 on twitter at rich zioli in case you're just joining us i am not drunk i just had a dental procedure done today where i had some novocaine Uh, my lip is a little bit um numb but i'm coming back rapidly don't worry by four o'clock i'll be fine there was no way i was going to say i'm coming uh i'm going to call in a guest host before the the iowa uh new hampshire caucus on on i'm sorry iowa caucus on monday but i'm here with you and we will be here on monday as well because monday is the big day and then the question becomes who comes in second haley or desantis my prediction is Haley, and then Ron Sanders says, I have no pathway. If that is the case, if that is in fact the case, Ron Sanders has an opportunity, something that Chris Christie had in blue prior to New Hampshire. Ron Sanders has the opportunity to say, I am part of the Trump coalition, the never Nikki coalition that Ron Sanders can say, I will help Donald Trump win New Hampshire. If he does that, that's going to go a long way towards solidifying his lead and solidifying the idea that in 2028, he is the choice of the MAGA Republican candidates. I believe this is his smart strategy. What do you think? 855-839-1210 on Twitter, at Rich Zioli. And of course, our big story of the day today brought to you by Dr. Mike Venaria, the great dentist, and he is absolutely the best. Just visit VenariaDental.com, V-A-N-A-R-I-A, VenariaDental.com. Don't forget our big event with Terry Hayes coming up on February 7th. I'm loving his book, The Year of the Pilgrim. Oh, it's so great. I'm telling you, it is the best. I loved the year, I'm sorry, The Year of the Locust. I love The Year uh, of the Locust so much. It's a great book. By far, it is the best thriller of the year I've read, and Jack Carr concurs. So the thing about it is that as we are launching airstrikes on the Houthis, you have to remember something. The real-time events of books, of fiction, sometimes often reflect nonfiction and reality. And as we launch these attacks on the Houthis, Iran is backing them. How does a guy who's a CIA operative get into deep into Iran, right? Go deep into Iran and help take out Iranian airspace. That is the book that Terry Hayes writes about in The Year of the Locust. If you read I Am Pilgrim, you know this guy is at the forefront of suspense and making you want to stay up late and turn every single page. The Year of the Locust, even better, in my opinion, his best book yet. Because he talks about technology, the forefront of our military strategy, but at the heart of it is what happens after ISIS is blown out? Donald Trump defeated ISIS. There's no question about that. But these radical Islamic terrorists always find a way to come back. In this case, in this book, The Year of the Locust, it is the army of the pure. 
These people are radical, and they are determined to destroy the United States of America. So how do you infiltrate that group? How do you defeat them? How do you find out whether or not they're telling you the truth? And whether or not a courier, a simple courier, a man of no means whatsoever, is selling the United States a bill of goods for $25 million about a spectacular attack against the homeland, or whether or not he's telling the truth. Terry Hayes answers all these questions in The Year of the Locust, and I will be with him on February 7th. Get your tickets today by going to 1210WPHD.com today, and uh, this will sell out. All my events sell out. That's the beautiful thing about the Zeolia army we always sell out our events 1210wphd.com do it now terry hayes is a great guy he'll sign your book you'll get to meet him he's a brilliant guy too he wrote road warrior and mad max too he is a smart guy and he was a journalist embedded with cia operatives so he knows how they operate 1210WPH.com, February 7th, the year of the locust. Me and Terry Hayes together, I will see you on February 7th. Thanks for listening to the Seoli Show podcast from Talk Radio 1210 WPHD and the Odyssey app. So I had an option today. I could um, call in sick or get my dental work done and be on the air. So I chose to be on the air, and I'm getting uh, absolutely worked over on social media for sounding drunk. I'm not. I promise. I wish I was. I really do. In this day and age, I wish I was, but I'm not. Um, but my God, the tweets are just incredible. Absolutely incredible. So let's see. Um I'm sure some of you, uh, some of these with you. Let's see. Um, you sound kind of low energy. Teeth suck. Am I right? Yes, they do. Yeah. Listen, like you've never had dental work before. Um, slurred Zioli is better than no Zioli, says Ornery Hounds. Thank you, Ornery Hounds. I appreciate that. Michael Pelka says, I'm not trashed. Uh, right, right. Listen, Opelka, if I was trash, you'd be on the air right now, so don't give me a hard time. Also, speaking of being trash, you owe me a bottle of bourbon. Um, let's see. Marcus O'Reilly says, is Kamala Harris hosting the show today? That's a very good point. Um Mar 2000 says, it's so funny. I'm listening to Rich while I'm clearly out in my garage. I'm saying to myself, is he intoxicated? Maybe he's doing his show from the Cape May bar. Or maybe he usually sounds like that as I don't listen every day. I'm glad he explained his dental procedure, LOL. Very good. Um, yeah, that's okay. Uh, Social con Construct 20, have you been drinking today? All right, fair enough. I will never, ever get dental work again and then go be on the air. I, I promise you that. But I just said, it's just the, the Iowa caucus is Monday. I can't take off work. Like, the kids are off from school on Monday, Matt DeSantis. Monday's a holiday. Kids are off from school. I will be here on the air. I'm not going to take off work prior to or the day of a major political primary. The kids are off from school for a week in April. And my wife is. My wife said to me, she said, do you want to go to like, um, I don't know, like Disney or uh, Cancun or something with the kids? I said, no, I have to be on the air. These are major political events. So even if I am sick or there's something that has to happen or emergency dental procedure i've got to be on the air these are these are consequential political events am i right yeah plus today's a big day obviously with the uh u.s-led strike against houthi rebels in yemen 
Right, exactly. We also were at the um, very, very beginnings of World War III. So, no, I've, I've got to be here. I can't. I would love to take a Friday off me and call Greg Soccer and be like, listen, I had dental procedure, but I have to. <laughs> I can't be on the air. But, no, I've got to be on the air. This is major stuff here, and this is consequential. So, we'll be fine. We'll get through this together, and Dr. Victoria Coates will be here. Wilford Riley is still ignoring us, which is kind of weird. Kind of awkward, no? No, I didn't text him today. He didn't ignore he did us not. today. Yeah. All right, fair enough. No. And uh, Jimmy Fallon will be here. I just, I do want to say, in all seriousness, Jimmy Fallon, his new show Saturday night, tomorrow night, 10 p.m. on the Fox News Network. It is uh, Saturday night, Fox News Saturday night with Jimmy Fallon. Now it's gonna be great. Jimmy is the man, and I love the guy, and I love the fact that years ago he used to fill in for me. It's kind of like when I don't know Dave Matthews Band used to fill in for some. I don't know, rock band you never heard of before. And then all of a sudden, everybody turned around and said, wow, this band is huge. Uh, Jimmy was and still is the the admiral of the Zioli Navy. So we love Jimmy Fela. We're happy for him. He's going to do a great job tomorrow night, 10 p.m. My hope is that you'll tune in. We want to give Jimmy big ratings tomorrow night. We'd love for him to just absolutely crush it on his first night as the host of the new show he'll be fantastic i think that he is a you know what what makes him special is that he's down to earth and jimmy is uh, the kind of guy that will tell it like it is but also do it in a way that's entertaining and there's not many of us out there like that so when you find somebody like that whether it's me or jimmy you got to back them you got to stick together all right here's lieutenant colonel davis on the yemen strike and what this means and what does this mean for america I told you in my opening monologue that the War Powers Act is a very, very tricky constitutional question. I do believe the president acted within the constructs of the War Powers Act. That said, I don't agree that the War Powers Act lasts forever. And this is where presidents, I think, go off the mark. The war on terror lasted for 20 years, all under a, technically speaking, emergency authorization by Congress. In my opinion, if something is going to last more than 90 days, Congress needs to authorize a declaration of war. This is my problem with with the war in Ukraine. We keep sending money and munitions to Ukraine. We have no strategy whatsoever. And we don't turn around ever to Ukraine and say, hey, you need a ceasefire like we do to Israel. So I think Congress needs to debate this question and get involved. However, the problem is that there are a lot of Republicans, because it's Russia, who want to turn around and say, I stand with Ukraine no matter what. Okay, that's great. We're so proud of you. We're so proud of you for wanting to stand with Ukraine. But if you do not turn around and say, we stand with the Constitution ahead of Ukraine, then you're a bunch of frauds. This is the issue. All these things, whether it's Ukraine or if the strikes on Yemen last night have the, the consequence, the possibility of dragging the United States into World War III. And unfortunately, my, my biggest fear is that in this day and age, the president will not ask for, nor will he technically need congressional authorization. I hate Woodrow Wilson. I hate Franklin Delano Roosevelt. But to their credit, both of them did ask Congress for an authorization for a declaration of war. Because back then, in the good old days, that's what you did. Then we had LBJ. 
So Lyndon Baines Johnson asked for something called the Gulf of Tonkin Resolution. LBJ said, I don't need a declaration of war. We don't want to declare Vietnam as a war. And to this day, it has never been declared a war. It's been a conflict, much like the Korean conflict. He used Truman's example with Korea as his justification for Vietnam. But ultimately, that lasted for clearly more than a generation and affected so many lives. LBJ said, I don't need congressional authorization if I can just get their authorization for something in particular. George Bush used the same ideology with regards to the war on terror. There has to be a time when Congress reasserts its power under Article 1 of the United States Constitution and says, we declare war. You are the commander-in-chief, Mr. President, no question about it, but you're only the commander-in-chief if we, the Congress, have declared there is a state of war. Now, we all understand, just as Thomas Jefferson did with the Barbary Pirates, there are circumstances which the United States of America has a reason to strike early and often, I would add, uh, before Congress can get together. But in those days, in Jefferson's days, the Congress had to come together by stagecoach. It took a long time. Nowadays, we can all do it by Zoom. So what do you think that period of time is? In my opinion, if you look at the founding fathers and the framers of the Constitution and what they thought, what they perceived to be the president's powers insofar as war, they wanted it to be very limited. So Jefferson struggles with this concept, right? He's faced with this idea. These Barbary pirates are attacking our ships, the Merchant Marine Corps. They're attacking our ships. What do we do about it? His idea is that if the United States of America is confronted with something that affects our ability in the homeland to conduct commerce, the president has a responsibility to act. So the Marines meet at the Hunt Tavern in Philadelphia. And years later, he sends them down to the very, very first international conflict outside of the borders of the United States to defeat the Barbary Pirates. Years later, of course, Jefferson would debate the question of the Louisiana Purchase. Does the president have the right to buy land? And then if the federal government buys that land, what do we do with it? All these questions remain questions to this day we tackle with. For example, is Texas in the right to say this land in our state is our land? And if the federal government enters our land, they are violating our state law. We will arrest them because that's what's happening right now with the Border Patrol entering land in Texas. Now, there is the uh, the excuse me, the other argument. I had dental work done today. Um, I have to remind you, if you're just joining the show, if I slur my words, it's the reason why. If the federal government enters state land and the state has said, this is our land, you cannot enforce your powers here, does that violate the supremacy clause of the United States Constitution? Now, I would argue it does not. And here's the reason why. When blue cities declare themselves sanctuary cities, let's take Philadelphia, for example. When Jim Kenney did the white man's overbite and stood outside his office in the hallway with his chief of staff at the time and danced and sang, we are a sanctuary city, yeah. Jim Kenney was asserting the notion that we do, 
Uh, we have to break. All right, I'm sorry. I went a little long here. We'll quick, take a quick break, and we'll come right back. 855-839-1210. On Twitter, at Rich Zioli. Jim Kenny asserted the fact we are a sanctuary city. Does that hold is the question. We'll come right back. Rich Zioli, weekday afternoons, 3 to 7. Talk Radio 1210. WPHT. And on the free Odyssey app. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.